and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on January 21st, 2015. The theme of the evening was self-help. Your next storyteller... Uh, also making her debut uh, here at our show. She is a, uh, a writer and storyteller around town. There's a storytelling show in Boulder called Truth Be Told, and she's in the finals of the Truth Be Told Slam. If you want to check that out, it is Sunday, February 22nd. Please welcome Ellen Nordberg. All right, so who, who has kids here? Yes? Grandkids? Thinking about maybe having kids someday? <laughs> well, yeah, this isn't, this isn't probably going to make you any more excited for that. This story is called Truths About Motherhood I Wish I'd Known in Advance, or How I Learned the Value of Ambidextrous Breasts. <laughs> no one warns you what really happens when you have twins. When I was first pregnant with my identical twin boys, I complained to my other mom friends about my lost brain cells and how relieved I would be to regain them once my babies were born. My friends reacted as though I'd just told them I'd have a six-pack abs two weeks after the birth and choked on their mojitos. I also thought that since I was an organized, disciplined person, managing two babies would be a lot like my corporate sales job. As long as I had my Franklin Covey day timer with schedules and to-do lists, it would be a breeze. As it turns out, I had no clue. My mom friends warned me that babies would pee everywhere as soon as the diaper came off. I managed the diaper changes carefully, but the only way I could safely bathe both my twins was to use the bathroom sink. With each baby clad only in a diaper and strapped to a bouncy seat, I'd fill the sink, stuff a pacifier in baby A, rip the diaper off baby B, toss him in the sink, and then grab the shampoo like Bugs Bunny in the assembly line. I expected the babies to pee in the water or spurt all over my front, but I was not prepared for the perfectly arced stream baby B released up and out like a cherub, like a cement cherub in a park fountain directly onto his father's toothbrush. (laughs) Caught up in the bathing frenzy, it didn't occur to me to throw it out or even rinse it till I saw it poking out of my husband's mouth at bedtime. Then there was the whole twin nursing saga. I had seen a picture of the double football hold in a book and I was determined to simultaneously breastfeed. One baby got the hang of it right away, happily sucking like a little calf trying to get from seven pounds to 50 overnight. The other yowled in frustration no matter what I did. So after 27 hours of me spurting milk in all directions but the baby's mouths like a leaky rotating lawn sprinkler, (laughs) I devised a strategy. This involved a giant nursing pillow, six couch cushions, 
One baby starting on the left and switching to the right, the second guy latching onto the left, finally both babies working away at once and me all proud, but with my back and neck contorted like a professional yogi. I alternated with the breast pump and still barely made it six months. And the breast pump did make my life easier, but it created other problems. When the boys were three months old, my husband and I joyfully danced off for our first baby-free date. After dinner, I crouched in the dark car with a blanket and my cigarette lighter-powered breast pump like Angela Lansbury on a stakeout <laughs> while he went for movie tickets. After successfully pumping, I strode into the theater, proud of my good motherness. I could go on a date with my man and provide meals for my babies. I winked at my husband as I approached through the crowded lobby. He, in turn, sprinted toward me, gesturing at my chest like a referee at a hockey game. I must be looking especially hot, I thought. But no, I had managed to rehook my nursing bra to my sweater so that one boob was peering out of my top like a pink and white baby kangaroo. I was psyched to be done with the breastfeeding and the pump. But my troubles were just beginning. Flash forward to a day when the boys were nearly three. I gratefully conversed with a willing mom in our busy park, my back to the play structure. Unbeknownst to me, one of my boys approached a support post, dropped trow, and set about marking his territory like a baby wolf. I turned to get a head count, caught sight of him, and booked it toward the swings. Simultaneously, a horrified group gasp arose near the slide, like wind being sucked out of a building through a revolving door. As I whipped my head around to see what the commotion was, my other little boy called out to me, Mommy, I'm a potty rock star. He, also with pants down, stepped aside to display a steaming pile of poop that would have made any mature St. Bernard proud. As I pulled the plastic newspaper bags most humans use for doggy waste from our diaper knapsack, head down in shame, one of the mothers withdrew her hand from her mouth. Well, she said, at least he didn't do it in his pants. Scraping human poop from crushed gravel was a new low for me. I had tried extra babysitters, molly maids, acupuncture, donning movie star sleepers for cat naps at all hours of the day to no avail. Now it was time to truly help myself. Sanity arrived for me at the Families of Multiples Club Fall Festival Harvest Picnic, where 74 twin and triplet families overtook an entire farm with hundreds of children aged eight and under swinging from tree forts and cargo nets, leaping from tractors, trash cans, and beleaguered ponies like Peter Pan's Lost Boys on crystal meth. <laughs> I watched other parents chatting calmly by the cupcake table and completely ignoring the mayhem. Finally, in this club, no one would squint at me, silently questioning why I couldn't control my kids. No one would care if my child pooped near the swing set. No one would judge me for allowing my husband to lick a urine-soaked toothbrush. And doubtful anyone would even notice if my boob were hanging out. 
I gratefully paid for five years of membership in advance. <laughs> I've often wished someone had warned me about the realities of bathing, breastfeeding, and potty training twins. But of course, if they had, I probably would have never signed up in the first place. But then again, I wouldn't have missed my potty rock stars growing up to become forgetful pet sitters, terrible liars, and athletes whose smelly sneakers have been mistaken for dead raccoons for anything in the world. That's Ellen Nordberg. This next, uh, th this next, your next storyteller I refer to as a this, that's... <laughs> your next storyteller is one of those uh, best things, best people about Denver, and I'm so sad that she's moving away. It's a uh, sort of sadness where you're just like putting it in the abstract, she's moving away in March. I'm like, that's so much time. Like, it's like, there's more than a month away. And I'll probably be lucky if I get to hang out there like one more time. Um, but she's one of my favorite stand-up comedians. Um, and having done stand-up comedy for a long time, I generally don't find any stand-up comedy funny, uh, even a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I love her stand-up comedy. She's great. And she's, uh, she's moving to, to, to the moon. She's going to the moon. Uh, uh, please welcome a uh, great friend of the show, Kristen Rand. Thank you, Andrew, for that very smooth introduction. Um, hi. I want to, like, first of all, just honor all the storytellers who have already uh, told stories tonight. The spiritual depth in this room is, like, palpable, and it's beautiful. So thank you, guys. Um, and this is uh, going to be not the easiest thing for me to talk about, but I'm totally going to do it. So thanks for being on board with me to do this. So hi. Um, I do jokes. For a living. Oh, God. I don't know if I'm going to stop shaking, and that's okay. Um, and if you know me at all, you know that I really don't have a memory that works. Like, it gets really bad. It's like, you, like I'll stop in the middle of a sentence because I forgot where I was going with that sentence bad. Like, it's really terrible. Um, but I do remember uh, some things really, really well. Like, um, when I was five years old, I asked my mom uh, if I could go on a diet. Um, and she took me to the doctor, and the doctor just said, don't put salt and butter on your food, and you'll be fine. Get out of here, kid. Um, <laughs> I remember in kindergarten, when I would sit next to all the other girls in class, I would look at my thighs, and I would look at their thighs, and I would look back at my thighs, and wish mine looked like theirs. Um, I remember when I was in fourth grade during the annual physical exam um, in PE, which is like touching your toes on that board where you had to slap it as far as you could. <laughs> Flexible as hell. Um, <laughs> I remember getting weighed and uh, it said 118 pounds and I don't think anyone in my class was over 100 pounds at all. I remember that. Um, I remember when I was uh, a sophomore in high school, my mom was doing Weight Watchers, so I decided to do Weight Watchers. And Weight Watchers is where you get points. Uh, you get a certain amount of points. And I was on it for one day uh, before I went over my points. And the guilt that I felt was 
unbearable. I remember going into my parents' bathroom and finding a toothbrush and going to the toilet and making myself throw up. And I also believed that I could be the kind of person where it just it happened that one time. Like I wasn't that kind of person. And it was um, with me uh, off and on for several years, but it was like born in so much like guilt and shame that I couldn't fathom telling anybody any of that. Um, I remember um, one time the thoughts in my head were like so obsessive about getting donuts that I stopped and got donuts and then while driving ate the donuts and then immediately like a light switch flipped and my head couldn't deal with the fact that I had eaten the donuts. So I pulled over on the side of the highway and put on my hazards and I puked the donuts back up into the bag that I had just bought them in. I remember countless times toilet water splashing back up into my face, thinking that that was like appropriate karma for the behavior and that I deserved it. I remember one time deciding for some reason to vomit in the shower and it clogged the drain and I was just standing there wet and naked with like vomit and water up to my ankles and it really hit me like this is not a rational thing that people do. This is not a thing that uh, is normal or a bad habit. This isn't a bad habit. This is like a disease. But I still didn't tell anybody. I couldn't even like fathom telling anybody. So I kept it for myself, and I kept it inside, and I let it just fester and grow, and, and like now I know that like the secrecy builds, it builds the power of something like that. Um, I remember when I was 27, I thought, okay, I'm finally gonna tell somebody, I'm gonna tell my brother, who's the most non-judgmental amazing person. Um, I, I was at that time binging and purging multiple times every single day. Every single meal, every single bite I ate. It was miserable. And I called my brother and he answered and he was so loving and he, he um, asked me what was wrong. He knew something was wrong. And like right now, I just... <laughs> Like, I couldn't say the words. Like, I couldn't say the words to the person who's the most, like, loving, accepting, non-judgmental person that I know. Um, and I just told him, you know, I'm just uh, struggling right now, but I'm going to be okay. And I love you. And he said, I love you, too. And he let me hang up. Um, and it wasn't until later that year uh, that I broke down and told my boyfriend at the time, because I really wanted a good excuse to not have to have sex, and I thought that would be <laughs> a good reason. 
because I was going through so much and I just, it was like a can of soda that had been like shaken and shaken and shaken and like I know that it's very apropos in a story like this to have like a rock bottom or a breaking point but for me I think it was just like a culmination of so many years of like shame attached with this behavior because it sounds so like banal to be like a white girl that has like body image issues and suffers with eating disorders. It seems so like born out of privilege and abundance. It seems so wrong to have a disorder like that, that I felt like I would be burdening other people by telling them because I know my role and my role is to be sunshine and I understand that. And I held on to that so much. And then when I first told that boyfriend, there was like this little bit of like, oh God, like that, that was good. Like, that's okay. Like I'm still alive. He doesn't hate me. This is all right. And then I told another friend and I told her about the sunshine metaphor. And she's like, Kristen, like people can't be sunshine all the time. Like nobody can be sunshine all the time. Like there are clouds, there's rain. That's just life. And she's right. Um, there are things about me that are not all sunshine. Sometimes I am riddled with fear, um, and I have a lot of uh, fears, like I'm afraid uh, my body will ruin my life, and I'm afraid that my body makes me unlovable, and I'm afraid if I look away from Facebook for too long, everyone will forget who I am. <laughs> I suffer with obsessive thoughts about food, Beyond what most people can imagine, I suffer from compulsive behaviors that lead to uh, binging and purging with that food. Uh, but I'm human, and um, and I'm afraid, and that's that's okay. Um, and what really changed it was like a paradigm shift for me recently was um, I heard that my 14 year old cousin was being treated for an eating disorder and it's like it, it triggered this like pang in my heart that like I had never felt anything like that before like I wanted so much to like run to her and like wrap her up even though I had like I'd never really met her in my whole life like I didn't even you know know her well at all but I immediately like reached out to this to my cousin and um, it's like if you could imagine a meeting you reincarnated while you're still alive, that's kind of what it felt like talking to her. She's like got this athletic build and she loves to like smile and make silly faces and she loves rap music and she's obsessed with taking pictures of the sunrise and the sunset and she suffers the way that I suffer. And to have her in my life um, and to meet her at this point in my life and to be able to tell my story to her and listen to her tell her story to me and be there for each other. Like to be able to say my bullshit out loud is like the best self-help that I could ever do. Um, because I think that when we can connect with other people and understand that there is nobody that's living their life without some stuff inside um, and we can connect with each other. Can you just imagine like the emotional depth, you know, 10, 20 generations is going to have because we decided to stop acting like we're all, we're all doing great all the time. Like it's just not how it's happening. And we are so ashamed of the things that make us unique. And I used to think that my suffering was so special, that my suffering was so unique. And I didn't want to tell anybody because no one could possibly understand because I was so unique in that. And, and the more I live, because I'm all of 31 years old now, and I've, learned, I've lived a lot. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but the more I live and the more I talk to people, the more I realize that our suffering is kind of the thing that unites us, right? Like it's kind of this thing that bonds us. The fact that like our suffering isn't distinctly for us. It just makes us distinctly human. It makes us here on this journey. And the thing that helps us through it is talking with each other and engaging with the, uh, like with other people about it. And um, so this for me tonight, right here physically in the past, however many minutes this has been, has been an enormous act of self-help for me because um, where I have told a couple people in my life. I definitely haven't told a room full of people in my life. Uh, but if you want to talk about uh, body image issues or eating disorders, feel free to talk to me about it because I'm open to talking about it. Thank you guys so much. That was Kristen Rand. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by Breckenridge Brewery, making balanced, approachable, and interesting handcrafted beers in Colorado for over 25 years. Check them out at breckbrew.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.